0: Welcome to the RV Podcast. This is episode 439 on this March 22nd, 2023.
1: And in this episode, we are going to talk about the biggest hidden danger of RV travel. everybody I'm Mike Wendland and this is my lifelong traveling companion and my bride Jennifer and we are delighted to have you with us Um, we are coming to you today from Michigan but we're about to hit the road and by the time you see this we'll be someplace between Michigan and Florida we've got a couple of stories that we're checking out and we're looking forward to being back on the road and in particular since we moved over to Western Michigan I'm looking forward to getting out of this lake effect snow. Holy cow, I've heard about it, but I never really experienced it for extended periods of time.
0: Yeah, if you like snow, lake effect snow. You'll <laughs> love it.
1: It is everywhere. I, <laughs> I think I mean, I'm
0: about ready to go south. <laughs>
1: yes, well, we are. We are literally packing uh, as we're recording this, trying to get an early start, and we've got a couple of stories that you'll be seeing in the weeks ahead. and. Uh, We'll be uh, rubbing it into you uh, as we come to you from uh, someplace, hopefully, in warmer weather. Hey, we had a lot of feedback uh, from last week's podcast. And among other things, uh, in the News of the Week section, we talked about the National Park Service and this very controversial program where even vloggers or YouTubers who record with just their cell phone are going to have to pay a fine if they don't get a permit, which they have to buy. And we explained how this is just a ludicrous, you know, we understand if it's a big crew with lots of people and equipment, but one man, two man, two woman, one woman band, <laughs> bands, you know, where we do this all by ourselves, it's ridiculous. So as a result, we mentioned how we're not going to the national parks because if we can't report it to you, um, we're, we're not going to go. Uh, so we had a lot of feedback of it. And one of the, the better ones came from Tony, who uh, had a, a, a pretty good perspective on what this issue is about. you want to share what Tony had yeah, to say? Yeah,
0: Tony says The video issue in national parks, I feel, is an attempt for the National Park Service to generate additional funds. I'm pretty confident that the opposite effect will take place, but the NPS won't realize it until they hit a financial hardship, if not a downright crisis. I'm pretty sure the YouTube videos that you have shared created the desire for my wife and I to visit Yellowstone, Grand Teton, Rocky Mountain National Park. New campers are still entering this community, and thousands make plans every year for iconic vacation camping locations. And most rely on you YouTubers to set their agenda. I applaud you for not playing the game. You YouTubers aren't going to suffer too much. But I'm afraid the National Park Service will in time. Sad day. Please keep your episodes coming. Love them. Tony.
2: Yeah,
1: good point. Thank you, Tony, for the kind words uh, for our videos. And that's why we go to National parks, to sort of share them and to show you how awesome they are. Uh, We're not going to be doing that. And I know a lot of other YouTubers are are, uh, just not going to do the same thing because, you know, you're dealing with a bureaucracy, having to get permits. I mean um it's just it's just crazy so the good side is is that we're discovering lots of other places lots of state parks let's (laughs) hope they don't get this idea Uh, we also had a a pretty good uh, piece of information through our facebook group from one of our readers named will and he had a very interesting tip
0: he did had an interesting experience yesterday with our furnace woke up to what sounded like a black hawk helicopter over our fifth wheel Turned out, it was our furnace. I figured the motor was out and began pulling the furnace out. After removing the unit, my wife noticed a large mouse (laughs) was in the uh, squirrel cage fan. After removing the dead critter and testing the motor, all was fine. On our furnace, there was a three-inch square hole that was directly over the fan. I placed an open mesh metal screen over the hole to prevent this from happening again. Will.
1: Those little pesky creatures, oh, they do yeah. like to get in our RVs, don't they?
0: They sure do. They they need a warm place for the winter.
1: Yep, don't we all? Mm-hmm. Hey, when we come back, uh, a really interesting uh, interview with um, a, a terrific lady that we met this week who has a story that if you travel and drive in your RV, you need to listen to. It is uh, a, a very powerful warning about what we are calling in this episode the Uh, you know the the hidden danger that's uh, perhaps the biggest danger of all of rv travel so stay with us that's coming up right in just a moment in our interview of the week the one thing that can ruin a perfect rv trip is a bad mattress and believe us we know over the years we've tried many and found them all wanting until now
0: now we sleep on the rv mattress by brooklyn bedding quite simply it's the best we've ever slept on
1: we chose a queen size aurora Lux medium firm mattress and it arrived tightly rolled in a box all we did is put it on the bed unroll it and wait for it to recover from the compression
0: oh does this ever feel comfy it's so cushiony
1: then we put on the sheets and the bed covers And we found ourselves ready to order another one for our home.
0: That's how comfortable it is. That first night's sleep was luxurious and deep, and it's been like that ever since.
1: The RV Mattress by Brooklyn Bedding comes with a 120-night sleep trial and a 10-year warranty. Shipping is free. If you're disappointed with the current mattress in your RV, you owe it to yourself to try the RV Mattress by Brooklyn Bedding.
0: Something else that's very important is that Brooklyn Bedding manufactures all their RV mattresses in their own factory in Arizona. This means they're able to use premium materials at a reasonable price for you with no middleman bringing up the costs.
1: And right now, if you visit RVMattress.com RVLifestyle, you'll get 20% off your mattress with the code RV Lifestyle. Again, use the promo code RVLIFESTYLE for 20% off the cost of the RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding.
0: We're sure you'll be as thrilled with your RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding as we are with ours. It really is the most comfortable mattress we've ever slept on.
1: Welcome back. It's time now for the interview of the week segment. And our guest this week is Betsy Johnson. Now, Betsy is a solo female traveler in her 70s, and she has been uh, widowed since 2017.
0: And how she became a widow is the topic of this week's podcast interview. And uh, Betsy's late husband, Rick, they had spent about two years RVing around the country in their Class C motorhome. And Rick had been a really good help, but he suffered a blood clot and died suddenly while on a camping trip in South Dakota. And the doctors at the hospital told her a blood clot uh, was formed from sitting too long while driving.
1: Now, Betsy and Rick had been married 45 years. You can just imagine what that was like that day. Um, Betsy lost Rick in 2017, and today uh, Betsy and her silky terrier Petey, uh, they're still RVing, uh, this time in a, a Class B Travato. Uh, But Betsy hopes by sharing what happened to Rick, you will take the threat of blood clots seriously, making sure that you uh, stop frequently while you're out on the road. So let's introduce you now to Betsy Johnson. Well, joining us right now is Betsy herself. And uh, she has, I think, uh, a very powerful story and a very timely story for many of us who are thinking about getting out there and uh, starting our, our spring travels. In RV. Betsy, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
2: I'm glad to do it. I'm always glad to share my story. I think it's important. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, uh, it's a very sad story, but you are helping a lot of people as you share that story because um, so many of us uh, think that... The, that unless we've hit all 500 miles in one day, we haven't succeeded on a trip, and that's not a good idea. So why don't we start with a little bit about, um, maybe describe the camping trip that you and and Rick were on.
2: Um, Rick and I were on a cross-country trip. I live in North Carolina, and this trip uh, was a caravan tour that actually started in St. Louis, Missouri. And so before the caravan even began, we had already traveled approximately a thousand miles to get to St. Louis. And there we joined uh, the caravan with Fantasy RV Tours and we traveled with them many times before. I highly recommend them. And so the trip that we were on uh, went from St. Louis to Oregon following the trail of Lewis and Clark. And um, uh, generally you would go you know, 100, 150, maybe 200 miles a day. Uh, so it wasn't a real strenuous uh, trip um, as far as driving was concerned. Um, but still over, you know, if you drive several hundred miles a day, and I think maybe his pri- you know, I don't know when, when you're going to say, he, he, he basically dropped dead, uh, took about an hour, but, you know, he, he hit the ground from a blood clot
1: the day that Rick died, how, how far mm-hmm. has you traveled?
2: Um, on that particular day, we had done 240 miles. And, and so had, not, not that far. Yeah,
1: But you had been traveling cumulatively a number of days, right?
2: Yes. Uh, we were on the 13th day of the caravan tour. But prior to that, we had traveled probably three or four days, the thousand miles to get from North Carolina to St. Louis,
1: so, so it had been uh, a week plus of mileage, yeah. of, of mileage, which adds up. Exactly. Yes. So you arrived at the campground. Uh, how was Rick feeling? Was there any indication that something was wrong? When did you say, "Wait, no. something's not Rick? He,
2: he had. He had. We had no no uh, warning ahead of time. And that day, we had traveled, um, like I said, about two hundred and forty miles uh, uh, to Bismarck, North Dakota. And when we arrived there, we were in a Class C, by the way, a Class C with a, on a Ford chassis. And when we arrived in Bismarck, um, he got out and we unhitched the tow car. And uh, and then he started doing the, um, the hookups. And I was, you know, I went inside to get things ready in there. And uh, after about four or five minutes of doing hookups, he came in and he said, I just can't breathe. And then the next thing he just kind of sort of, started panting, and I said, well, it's really hot outside, and you're trying to do everything too quickly, so let's just slow down. We're not in a hurry, and uh, he sat down at the table and was just panting, and I said, well, why don't you just go lie down for a few minutes, and he went in and laid down on the bed for just a few seconds, and he sat up, and he said, there's something wrong. I, I just can't breathe, and, he, and by then, he was starting to get really agitated. You know, if you, if you can't catch your breath, you get agitated. And so uh, I ran to the uh, RV park office and asked them where the closest emergency care center was. And it was just a mile or two away. I never did call 911. I just, we just, fortunately, he had already, we had already unhitched the car. And so I put him in the, we got him in the car and um, he was just panting like a dog, panting, just panting. And um, I took him to the emergency clinic. And as soon as he walked in there, he basically collapsed. Although, I mean, he was still breathing, but he basically collapsed. And they immediately diagnosed what the problem was. I think, I think they knew immediately what the problem was. And they called an ambulance. I think they had already called an ambulance before I even went back in the room with him. And the ambulance came and took him to the hospital. I followed along in the car, and uh, he actually died two or three times in the, in the ambulance. They revived him. And, um, so once we got to the, to the, uh, hospital, um, they put me in a waiting room and they worked on him for probably 20 or 30 minutes. And the doctor came out several times and told me what was going on. And then the last time he came out, he said, we have revived him several times and, um, uh, we could keep doing this. And it's possible that we could save his life, but I'm afraid that if we do that, He might have brain damage if he doesn't already. And Rick and I had, I mean, I always knew that that is not the way anybody wants to live with brain damage. And so I said to the doctor, I said, then you just don't do anything else. That's it. Hmm. And um, the people at the hospital were very compassionate. I couldn't have had a better uh, charge nurse. I couldn't have had a better doctor. He, He explained to me once I, once, once Rick was, they still had him alive on a machine. But by the time I went back there, um, he was pretty much gone. And uh, I asked the doctor, I said, if I talk to him, will he know what I'm saying? And the doctor said, well, we can't really tell, but you have to think that he does. And so I talked to him for a minute or two. And, and uh, then I nodded at the doctor, like, you know, let's just go ahead and turn the machines off. And they did. And, uh, and then after that, Um, I asked the doctor some questions and we talked a little bit about Rick's history and what we had been doing and so forth. And um, one thing that the doctor told me was that from the minute that he started having trouble breathing before we ever even thought about calling for emergency, from the minute he started having trouble breathing and was panting, he said, the doctor said he was he was a goner. He said there was nothing you could have done. And he said, even if you'd called 911, he said, you did the right thing by getting him here as quickly as you could have to call 911 wouldn't have done any good. And he said he never had a chance. Um, Once that blood, once the blood clot broke loose, he was as good as dead. So, yeah, that's it.
1: (laughs) What a a shock that must have been. And since then, you have, I know, uh, made this a sort of a cause for you now. Yeah. Looking back with the knowledge you have uh, and for RVers who are planning their summer travels now, what's the best advice that you <laughs> you have learned that you would give them about traveling and driving? Well, long
2: Several things. Um, first of all, you are never promised tomorrow. You know, don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. So if you enjoy traveling go ahead and do it. If you can retire early, do that. I'm so glad that Rick retired. He was 72 years old when he passed, but he had retired early and we had done a lot of traveling. So, you know, don't put it off. Go ahead and do it because you're not promised tomorrow. And um uh Rick and I don't, we didn't have any children. And uh so we had, I guess maybe we had more time than other people do. We, I knew exactly what he wanted um as far as Did he want to be an organ donor? Did he uh, want to be kept alive on machines? We had talked about all those things, and I knew all of that. And um, so I think that's important, to have an open and honest talk about what you would want if something like that happened. And it is very important. Don't put it off. Have your will, have your power of attorney, have your medical power of attorney um, all ready. I didn't have any of that stuff with me. That was another thing that the people that I dealt with on that particular day and the days following were very compassionate. And nobody said, nobody asked me if I had the authority to say, cut off the machines. I think they just assumed that I did. Uh, But I can imagine that you might be some places where they would say, we need to see that paperwork. I didn't have the paperwork with me. So maybe it would be a good idea to carry copies of that kind of thing with you. Um, I did not, but I didn't need it as it happened. Well, well
1: let's let's talk about for a minute the uh, the whole issue of a blood clot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happened because of... Why did this blood clot happen? What, did the, what have you learned? What did the doctors tell you?
2: Well... Uh, when Rick and I first started RVing, when we bought this RV, we had taken several classes, you know, at the dealership where we bought it. And one of the things that they told us was, be sure to stop and get out and walk around every couple of hours. And you've heard about people doing overseas flights and things like that, getting a blood clot because you're sitting there and you're not moving and your blood's not moving. And uh, and we did that for the first couple of years of RVing. We were you know, just religious about stopping every couple of hours and walking around. But as you, you know, do it more and you become more comfortable, we didn't even think about that anymore. Like you said a few minutes ago, you're thinking about driving 600 miles, you know, in a couple of days. That's too much. Um, We generally tried to keep our our distance to about 300 miles a day. I still do that as I travel now. Um, But even at 300 miles a day. Maybe we didn't get out and walk often enough. On that particular day, we had driven, like I said, about 250 miles total. But midway through that, we had stopped for lunch. We ate and then we got back in the vehicle and went on. The doctor said that this was something that had probably started several days or maybe even weeks um, before this tragic event that the blood clot had probably had it for a while. So, you know, in that, traveling from North Carolina to Missouri and then on to North Dakota, you know, that, that clot might've been in his leg for several days and it just chose this particular day to break loose. And once it breaks loose, then you're done. <laughs> so, well,
1: we, we're going to put some of those links that you have shared with us as we prepared for this interview in the show notes. So people can check yeah. from the center for disease control and prevention and from the national institutes yeah. of health about blood clots and travel. Yeah. Um, Jennifer and I have always had a rule, which I admit we don't always follow ourselves. Uh, but the three thirty rule: no more than three hundred and thirty miles, and uh, finished by three thirty in the afternoon. For uh, not only health reasons, but just you know, to keep you from being too tired, and so you can enjoy the area. You shared with us some of the things about getting out and why it's important to walk around. Um, but there's another important lesson you learned, and that had to do with your membership in the. Uh, FMCA,
2: yes. Um, so
1: them, uh, I'm wearing my FMCA shirt here. <laughs> well, uh,
2: I, cannot, I cannot say enough good things about FMCA. Um, my experience was we we had that membership and I'll, I'll say, I think it costs no more than 50 or $60 a year. I think at times they have it on special for $50 a year. And that includes um, you know, a, an emergency plan. And uh, so I knew that we had that membership. I think we also had a membership in the Good Sam, which also, you know, maybe has that same kind of thing. But for me, when I got back to the RV park after leaving the hospital, uh, I drove back to the RV park and, uh, uh, you know, nobody, nobody even knew that we had gone to the hospital. And uh, when I pulled into the RV park, I saw a couple that I had become friends with over the couple of weeks that we've been traveling with them. I knew them vaguely and I rolled my window down and she came over and she said, how are you doing? And I said, well, I have to be able to say this. I said, my husband has just died. Well, then, you know, you just have shock. Oh my God, what happened? And, and sympathy. But then within a minute or two of me telling her that he had died, she said, you must." she said, are you a member of FMCA?" And I said, yes. And she said, you have to call them right away. And this was late on a Saturday afternoon. And I said, why would I do that? And she said, they will take care of everything that you need. They will see to it that you get home. I had a little dog. She said, they're, you know, they'll pay for you to fly home or they'll pay for a family member to come out here and be with you if that's what you want. They'll pay for your dog to go on the airline. Um, they will pay to get your RV and your tow car Back to your point of origin, and uh, and she said you you just have to call them right away and and I, I did I called them and within no time um, they were you know helping me and uh, they made the airline reservations and we had to change them once or twice. <laughs> I had my little dog with me, his little 20, uh, ten pound silky terrier, but I didn't have any kind of a carrier for him, and they said no problem, just go to the pet store and buy one and send us the bill. So I mean they literally paid for everything. And I'd only been a member for a couple of years. So maybe I'd given them a hundred dollars all told and they spent thousands of dollars on me getting yeah. me home, the dog in the, in the plane with me. I mean, not in the cargo hold, I paid the, you know, whatever it cost to have him right up there with me in the seat. And um, so they were wonderful to deal with.
1: Well, thank you so much for underscoring yeah. to us all the importance of getting out and moving around and not staying behind the wheel in one position for extended periods of time over yes. many days. Yeah. Uh,
2: Rick was a pretty big man. I mean, he was not, I looked at some of the, some of the uh, dang, you know, things that, uh, that might cause a blood clot other than just drugs And, you know, there were things like being overweight and so forth and so on. And, uh, but he was, you know, he was tall and he was big. And so there, he was, you know, he was, he did almost all of the driving and he's, you know, cramped up in that little seat. And, yeah. uh, sometimes he tried to stretch his legs and he couldn't, but he, you know, we just didn't want to stop. We just wanted to keep going. So yeah, I, been, I, I'm very cognizant of it now as I travel around by myself, I now have a little 21 foot, uh, Travato, And I've been cross country and I've been everywhere. I've been to 48 states in my Travato since he died. And I'm very careful about getting out and walking around.
1: I bet Rick would be very glad. He's very glad (laughs) to know that you are continuing, Uh, Darby. How often do you personally stop? And for how long? What do you do? What's your routine when you get out of the vehicle after taking a break?
2: Oh, I stop every, at least every One and a half or two hours, at least, at least that often. Probably closer to once an hour. Not so much thinking about that, but uh, you know, just stop to go to the bathroom or stop to walk the dog or or you know whatever. And so I'm always cognizant of it. Um, uh, Yeah, and I I never go more than three hundred miles a day. That's my absolute limit is three hundred miles.
1: Well, I know you have helped a lot of people with this message, and I thank you for sharing it
2: on the RV podcast yeah well you're certainly welcome thank you for having me
0: you know people just don't realize how dangerous it is just to sit there you think oh we're almost there we'll push it just a little bit longer another hundred miles i can do it yeah yeah (laughs) and i've been guilty of that too you get behind the wheel and you just get a little crazy you want to get there and we forget we We gotta move this machine
1: We do. And uh, just I really appreciate, Betsy, uh, her advice about the FMCA and this awesome service they have. If the worst should happen to you, uh, we've heard this from other people, how that uh, is certainly more than worth the price of of a membership in this excellent organization and how compassionate and helpful they were for her. And then uh, I loved her message where she said, You're not guaranteed tomorrow, so make the best out of today. Uh, So we thank Betsy for spending time with this. New travel tech coming up right after this. Tired of overcrowded campgrounds and competing for reservations, paying high fees for sites, while ownership is an emerging trend in RVing that might be right for you. It was for Jen and me. We bought some land just west of Nashville, Tennessee in an incredible collection of mountaintop RV properties called the Woodlands at Buffalo River. These are 5 to 62 acre properties that allow RVs year round starting at $79,900 and we loved it. The scenery is breathtaking and you can own it outright. It's not a timeshare. It's your property, your way. You can landscape, garden, bring your pets, build what you want to. There's high speed internet and it's so private. It's a great place to make your home base. No more calling around for reservations ready whenever you want. And they're selling these properties by appointment, five to 62 acres, $79,900. Financing, big discounts available on multi-lot packages. For information, visit myrvland.com. myrvland.com. RV travelers demand solid, reliable internet. And for Jennifer and me, that means Nomad Internet. It's our exclusive on-the-road internet connection, and it gives us unlimited data. We're never throttled or deprioritized. It connects seamlessly. It works on the new C-band cellular spectrum that offers wider coverage, higher performance, and is less susceptible to interference. If C-band isn't available in a particular area, my connection automatically defaults to 5G or 4G. The Nomad Air modem that we use has maximum connectivity across all cellular frequencies with high-powered internal antennas, and it can connect to all of our devices. Best yet, there's no contract, and Nomad allows users to pause service when they're not traveling. It works in motion as you're driving and there are numerous plans that you can choose to fit your individual needs including residential service. You can learn more about Nomad Internet by going to rvlifestyle.com/nomad. That's rvlifestyle.com/nomad. Hi, welcome back. Time now for the new Travel Tech segment of the RV podcast uh, drawn from the inspiration of our friends over at New Travel Tech. .com our sister blog that uh, it celebrates the many ways technology enhances the entire travel experience not just RVing. So what do we have this week? We want to okay, talk about Okay,
0: this app is aimed at interstate travelers and it's called iExit and we've been using it for years.
1: Now, it, it's a great app for finding out what is at the next exit uh, from the interstate Or maybe a few miles down the road, if you're looking. Uh, How many times have you been out on the road, you know, and you say, well, let's go for another half hour. What's going to be available there? And this is where this app comes in so handy, because it locates um, fuel stops. Uh, It tells you the average cost per gallon. Uh, It notes what restaurants and businesses are at an exit. Uh, They call it uh, the road trip pit stop finder. (laughs) And it really does help you save time and, and um, help you plan out your trip as you're traveling.
0: And uh, one thing that we really appreciate is how it lets you know what the fuel prices so that you can wait a little bit longer if need be to save some money.
1: Yeah, what they do is they compare daily the fuel prices and then they average them out and then they show you what exits ahead uh, and what cities have the best price for fuel. Uh, you can find also rest areas ahead. had. Oh, yeah.
0: rest- and restaurants. Restaurants. A certain restaurant, you can check that out.
1: Hotels. Mm-hmm. And you, you can even uh, rent a hotel room if you decided to deck with the RV. You want a hotel room for a night. Um, it's uh, free for iOS and Android. And uh, we've been using it. They even have a companion book that you can get. But the app is great. Uh, I say it's free, but you know, there's always a premium version available without advertising and some more bells and whistles, but the free one is all we've been using and have been very happy. I exit, will link to it in the show notes uh, for this episode that you find on our travel blog, rvlifestyle.com. All right, news of the week coming up right after this. One of the most exciting developments for RVs is happening out west in Arizona. Western Land and Ranches is selling five-acre high-elevation ranches just off the famous Route 66, the birthplace of the American road trip. Prices start at only $39,900, and these are beautiful secluded tracts of land surrounded by majestic mountain ranges with sweeping valley views. The high elevation is a unique microclimate as well, giving you cooler temperatures, green grasses, and tree cover, making it unique for desert property. The community is in the center of it all, close to the best of the West. Grand Canyon, Las Vegas, Lake Havasu, Lake Mead, Lake Mojave, the Colorado River, Flagstaff, Sedona, and Historic Williams. If you're tired of crowded RV parks and paying high fees for sites, Well, ownership might be right for you. This incredible collection of mountaintop properties called Greenwood Ranches hit the market and it's selling out fast. There is no HOA. You can build a house, a cabin, outbuildings, or just RV. It's your property, your way, 100% ownership. Visit the website to get details and set up a showing, ArizonaRVLand.net. That's ArizonaRVLand.net. Welcome back, everybody. Time now for the RV News of the Week. What's our first story?
0: Well, this is a story, we've all heard about an occasional aggressive bear causing a campground to temporarily have to close sites or maybe a whole campground. But in uh, Canada's Killarney Provincial Park, a campground had to close last week because of an aggressive owl. I can honestly say... (laughs) Who? Yeah, never a, An owl? Yeah. yeah. A, a great horned owl attacked several visitors, swooping down and pecking at their heads. And one man suffered wounds up to his scalp and his forehead when the bird attacked him, dropping down silently in the uh, middle of the night. <laughs> it's kind and, of like an Alfred
1: <laughs> Hitchcock yeah, movie, Remember The Birds. The birds? Yeah.
0: Oh, that was a scary movie. And uh, leaving him feeling like he'd been uh, struck by a sledgehammer. I mean, those owls can be pretty big. And then another camper was making a cup of tea at around 8 p.m. when the bird struck him and said uh, he had a helmet on. Wait, he had a what? Helmet on. So maybe he was a bike rider or something.
1: Or maybe word had spread about this <laughs> and he went outside with a helmet on.
0: So he wasn't bleeding, but, excuse me, but it still hurt. And the bird came back later and attacked him when he was in his tent. Wow. Wow. So... um Owls can be territorial, so I think it's probably pretty safe to say that that owl had a nest nearby and felt that these people were too close. So they, can't, to their they closed nest. the
1: campground? Wow. Yep. Because of an aggressive because owl. Of
0: an aggressive owl. Ouch. You never know. Like I say, you expect bears, but not an owl. All
1: right, my favorite story this week is a rescue story. We all love rescue stories. Here's one with technology. This is right up my alley. Uh, this was uh, a guy who was in Oregon and he was hiking and he was in the Willamette National Forest uh, and it began to snow, really heavy snow, and he couldn't get out. So he used his drone to send a text for help. Uh, the man, a dog, and his friend were leaving the National Forest. Uh, they had, uh, there was a stranded motorist there, so they offered to pull him out of the snow and then they became stuck themselves. The park does not have good cell phone coverage so the man came up with this solution that he would take out his drone uh, and he uh, set his phone up, he typed a message to his wife telling her a location and situation, attached it to his drone and set it high enough to get a signal and uh, when he got a signal the, the text went through. Uh, rescuers came and they helped him, and on the way, they rescued in fact another motorist who had been stranded for several days. Oh wow. So those of you who don't like us who fly in our drones around there's a way that the drone yeah. actually actually helped That's
0: a good drone story.
1: A great drone story and a rescue story. Yep. <laughs> right yep.
0: Now we have a story, a sad story about a, a man and his wife who lived in the suburbs of Denver. And they had their dreams crushed after their Class A RV was stolen from their Mm. garage. Uh, The Lakewood uh, couple said they had worked all their lives and saved their money, and they purchased the RV, and they had dreams of traveling to all those places where we all want to go. And they had recently returned from an RV trip to Florida and had many more trips they planned on doing this summer, and now all those plans have been spoiled. And the couple parked their RV in their garage, and even had a security system for the garage when thieves broke in and successfully stole it. Mm. Their RV has South Dakota plates, and they are asking for the public to help in locating it.
1: So we'll put a link to that story, and you can get a full description and see what it is. You'll find that in the show notes episode at rvlifestyle.com. Um, Well, a lot of RV resorts in Florida uh, are already booked up for the 2023-2024 snowbird season. Now, we're not even officially done with this snowbird season. And others uh, are filling up fast whatever spots are left for the end of 2023 when everybody goes back to Florida. And for 2024, this is according to the Florida RV Park and Campground Association. They issued a press release on this last week urging snowbirds Not to delay in making reservations for 2024, because many of the resorts in the most popular locations are expected to be completely booked up within the next several weeks. Um, Many of the state's uh, resorts give priority to RVers who commit to longer periods of time, seasonal, you know, the three months or whatever it is. So if that's not your plan, and you want to go for a few days here, a few days there, you have better line things up right now in Florida. And this is according to uh, our friend Bobby Cornwall, the CEO of the Florida RV and Campground Association. 2324, already starting to fill up. We'll be filled up completely, they say, uh, in just a few weeks. So a word to the wise. All right, that is our RV news of the week. When we come back, the RV question of the week. When we're asked what's the most important modification we made to our RV, it's an easy answer: Battleborn batteries. Battleborn batteries are quality, safe, reliable lithium batteries that allow us to stay out there off the grid longer. Lithium batteries charge faster; they charge fuller; they're longer lasting; they're maintenance-free, and Battleborn batteries are protected by a 10-year guarantee. Now, in our case. They just dropped into the existing AGM batteries that we have. And they'll probably be the same on your rig, too. Battleborne battery experts can get those in your rig just like they did with ours. They can also match you up with the right cabling, the inverter, the charger, the solar controller, everything. Jennifer and I swear by our Battleborne batteries. They allow us to boondock off the grid. Check them out. Go to rvlifestylecom lithium. RVLifestyle.com slash lithium. When we're on a road trip, we always seem to find a way to stop at a Camping World Center. There are over 225 Camping World locations across the country, and there's always one close by when we need parts and accessories for our RV or just want to shop. In fact, Electrical accessories, must-have gadgets, check them all out. And again, don't forget, use the coupon code RVLIFESTYLE10 when you visit CampingWorld.com. And welcome back, everybody. Time now for the RV question of the week. And this one comes from Kevin, one of our writers or readers.
0: Kevin says, question, when traveling with a fifth wheel, if I pull in someplace to sleep for a while, will it hurt anything to put our slide out? Without unhooking or dropping the stabilizer jack, I don't see an issue with it, but figured that I would ask more experienced people than me.
1: Well, I I think he probably means like a Walmart or a Cracker Barrel or a rest area or someplace where you can overnight. Um, Number one, you don't have to unhook, but you do have to be level. You have to level that RV. Do not put your slides out without leveling it. It can really strip those gears and bring it off track. Uh, it is a real no-no to uh, try and put the slides out without um, first making sure it's level. Uh, we, we learned this uh, ourselves early on in our fifth wheel experience and uh, it, the temptation is there, oh we're only going to be a while, we'll just throw that out. But um, no, you want to be level. So put down your front and rear stabilizer jacks and level that thing as best you can before you put out the slide. Now, that said, there are some places where you overnight, where they ask you, they discourage people from putting out their slides. Uh, For one thing, somebody might pull in in the middle of the night right next to you, and you don't (laughs) want to have them take your slide off if you're in there. With you in it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what most people suggest is look for a place to park there where the slide goes out over grass, or it goes over an area where nobody's going to park next to you. But in terms of um, of putting the slide out, uh, it's okay to do it while you're hooked up to the vehicle, your tow vehicle. You don't have to unhook, but just make sure you level the RV. That is really important. Don't do it without leveling it. You might get by without any problems, but eventually, uh, the odds are that's going to cause an issue. You know. Mm-hmm. So, all right. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, your comments, your feedback, so we can share it in the next episode of the podcast. Our private email address is mikeandjen at rvlifestyle.com. All right, we're hitting the road. Uh, next uh, podcast, next week, will be, hopefully, Lord willing, someplace warmer than, mm. than the west side of Michigan where we're getting lake effect snow as we're <laughs> packing up and getting ready for an RV trip. Oh, well. <laughs> Spring, where are you? Thanks so much for watching, everybody.
0: Happy trails.